invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we read John's account of the resurrection. It's page 1686 in your pew Bibles, page 1686, John chapter 20, and uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, uh, but it begins with Mary at the tomb, and then Peter and John running there, we'll talk a little bit more about that. We pick up really on Easter evening, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends in Jesus Christ, what to do with Thomas? What to do with Thomas? It doesn't seem right that one bad day should label you forever doubting Thomas. It doesn't seem like one mistake, one absence from church on a Sunday night should, should brand you the doubter. just doesn't seem fair. I think if we're going to get a, a little better understanding of, of Thomas and, and what's going on through his mind, it may help to go back to the beginning of the Easter story as, as John tells it in, in chapter 20. 
There's, there's something curious about this story. At least I find it curious. I find it kind of interesting. It has to do with the angels that, that Mary encounters in Jesus' tomb. She, she sees two angels there, and, and they ask her a question, and it's that question that, that sort of gets me. It hits me. And maybe it's not so much what they say, it's more what they don't say. And, and to understand that, you have to go back sort of throughout all of Scripture because whenever a human being encounters an angel, it seems like the first words out of the angel's mouth are always what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Exactly. Don't be afraid. Why those words? Well, because the unseen world is intersecting with the world that we see. Messengers from God appear, and we begin to shake, and we begin to tremble. We're not used to that sort of thing. And so before the angel can even give us the message that he was sent with from God, he has to give us another message. Take it easy. Don't be afraid. And yet when you look at John's account of the resurrection, when when Mary enters the tomb and she sees the two angels, that's not what they tell her. Instead, what they say is, woman, why are you crying? Woman, why are you crying? And, And what that tells me is that perhaps Mary isn't really processing exactly what's going on here. That, that, that Mary's really not coming to grips with it. It's not quite registering that, that here, sitting before her or standing before her, are two messengers from God. But in her mind, I think what this tells us is that the big deal to her was not the angels. It was not the presence of the angels, but the absence of Jesus. That was the big thing. And that's why Mary's main emotion was not fear, it was sadness. Her Lord was was missing. And let's be honest, when you and I come to Easter Sunday, we're not really thinking about the angels either, are we? I mean, they're always there, they're there in the text, but they're so easy to overlook. And that's because there's something so much more important going on, right? A much bigger miracle going on, and that's the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. And what happens, however, is is the resurrection is so big in our minds that we begin to overlook a lot of other things. In fact, the resurrection is so big that, that oftentimes our minds go, go elsewhere. They go right to the proof, right? Um, is this really true? Where's, where's the evidence? What's it like? How solid is it? Is it airtight sort of evidence? If, if not to the proof, then our minds might go to the theology of the whole thing. If Jesus is really risen from the dead, then what does that mean for me? What does that mean about my own death and resurrection? What does that mean about life everlasting and and new bodies and and a new creation? What does it mean theologically? What are the implications? In fact, we get so so caught up in all of these, these sorts of details of the resurrection that just like Mary, we tend to overlook something big. 
Not just the angels, sometimes we even overlook Jesus. The biggest proof of all. There are, there are scholars, in fact, who, who criticize Peter and John. Um, Peter and John for this very thing, that, that they're too focused on the evidence. Remember what happens with Peter and John, right? They hear Mary's report and they go, they go running to the tomb and you have that little exchange about, you know, one got there first, the other was a little slower, probably a little older. Um, Peter's sort of getting a jab from John there. But, but John stops and he looks in. Peter barges right in. What do they see? Yeah, the tomb is empty. It really is. And, and there are scholars who have written page after page after page who, who, who say that's really the biggest proof of the resurrection of all, the fact that this new tomb was completely empty. There was no one in it. Jesus was gone. That, doesn't, that just didn't happen. But, but Peter and John, they even saw more than that. They saw the empty grave clothes, right? The linens that were laying there, nobody in them. They saw the burial cloth folded all by itself. They saw the evidence. And, and we even read that 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 evidence seemed to spur in them belief, at least in one of them, at least some sort of belief. And as we look at it, we, don't, we wonder, right, is it, is it really a complete sort of belief or is there something missing about it, something that's not mature about it? Why? Well, because... What you read is that they saw all the evidence and then they left. They just left. I mean, they didn't, they didn't stay and discuss it with Mary. They didn't, they didn't go and tell their fellow disciples what they had seen. The text says they went home. They just went home. But not Mary. Mary didn't get what she was looking for. She came for more than evidence, and so she lingers. And that lingering is, is rewarded, and she gets exactly what she was looking for. She gets Jesus. Jesus, who comes up behind her, and he asks a question very similar to the angels. Woman, why, why are you crying? And as she begins to ramble on about the gardener, finally Jesus just says, Mary. And she turns, and there he is. And you see, Mary, in that way, gets far more than Peter and John ever got. Peter and John were were contented with the evidence, and they missed Jesus, not Mary. Mary wanted more, and, and Mary got more. She got the one that she knew, and she got the one who knew her. Mary got to hear the voice of her shepherd. Mary began to understand what exactly was happening here. And Mary received the call to, to go and to tell, tell your friends. And it came not as some cold theology of mission. It, it came as a, as a word from her Lord. And, and she knew that this was 
the Jesus that she had always been with. This was the Jesus who knew her story, who cast seven demons from her. This was the Jesus who knew her history, who knew her identity, who knew her name. She got what she came for, Jesus. Now let's, let's fast forward a moment um, to Thomas. Because the story of Thomas also seems to be one of those stories that's gotten sidetracked and it seems to be more concerned about the stuff surrounding Jesus, the tangential sort of stuff, the stuff adjacent to Jesus almost more than Jesus himself. And, and Thomas, I suppose, is as much to blame for that as, as anyone. I mean, Thomas misses that first Sunday evening church service. That's admitted. We don't know where he was. We don't know why he missed it. We're not going to blame him for that. But we do know that while he was gone, Jesus showed up. And the rest of the ten disciples were there. And Jesus brings them a message. Peace. Peace be with you. And, and friends, don't underestimate that message. That was a message that they needed to hear. That was a message that hit the spot. After all, all of these men had denied their Lord. They denied ever knowing Him. They denied being with Him. They denied ever wanting to be with Him. When the going got tough, they fled. And and rightfully, they might have expected some sort of retribution from Jesus, some sort of payback, maybe, maybe just in the form of angry words, maybe in the form of words of correction, maybe fierce regret that he had ever chosen them in the first place. But that's not what they get. What they get is peace. Words of forgiveness. All is... All is forgiven. It's all right. Actually, it's, it's all right again. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas had to hear all of that secondhand. And, and we know Thomas' response, right? I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it, not unless I see it for myself, not unless I get to touch the holes in his hands. If I put my hand in his side, that's one thing, but I'm not going to believe it unless I do. I want to see the evidence myself. I want to handle the evidence myself. And friends, that's, that's sort of the direction things have turned with, with the story of, of Thomas. We've, we've made it all about evidence. And, and we sort of wonder, you know, how much evidence does it take to actually um, believe in the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ? How much? Do you have to see it with your own eyes? Do you have to be an, an eyewitness yourself? Or, or is it enough to hear the testimony of other eyewitnesses? Is it enough to hear what, what they saw? In other words, are the ears as capable of producing faith as the eyes are? And we sort of go back and forth about all of the evidence and what's enough and what's not enough to convince us. 
And sometimes I think we've forgotten the people in the story. For one, Thomas. We forget sometimes that Thomas was actually a twin, right? Both the Greek and the Hebrew versions of his name mean twin. And so, of all people, who might, who might actually be familiar with mistaken identity? Right? Think of the parent trap and all of that. In other words, Thomas perhaps needed to know more than anyone else, maybe needed to see it with his own eyes in order to believe. I mean, Thomas knew that feeling of, of, of nobody knowing who he was. Perhaps he needed more even than you and I need. And you know who knew that? Jesus knew that. Jesus knew exactly that. In fact, Jesus comes in and into that room once again, and he comes with the same words that he came a week earlier, peace, peace be with you. Only this time, Thomas is there to hear it. Because Thomas needed those words just as much as any of us. Peace, it's okay, it's all right, all is forgiven. And then he goes on and he looks right at Thomas and he says, Okay, Thomas, here I am. Here are my hands, here are my feet, here's my side. Go ahead, see, touch whatever you have to do. Jesus knew Thomas. It's amazing, really, that when you actually read the account, you know, Thomas made this whole big deal about what he had to see, what he had to do. When you actually read the account, it seems like he doesn't even take Jesus up on his offer. At least not as far as we can tell. I mean, we don't read that he grabbed Jesus' hands and he was flipping them over, or put, poking his finger through to see if it came out the other side. I mean, he doesn't do anything like that. All we read is that he saw and then he professed, my Lord and my God. And it makes you wonder... Maybe Thomas wasn't so interested in proof of resurrection. Maybe, maybe what Thomas needed more than anything was proof that this wasn't a stranger. Maybe what he needed was to know that this lookalike was the same man that he had spent days and weeks and hours following and listening to and, and obeying. Maybe he needed to know that this was the same man that he knew pre-cross. And maybe he needed to know that Jesus knew him. Again, let's just revisit that idea of being a twin, right? And we don't want to make more of this than, than we have to, but... But think of what life is like for a twin. 
I'm not really familiar with that. We have some identicals in our own congregation. I suppose you can ask them. You probably know others. You can ask them too. But, but I have a feeling that when you're a twin, you have sort of a feeling of anonymity, at least a measure of anonymity that you go through life with. I mean, after all, how many of us have, have run into a twin at the grocery store or whatever, and you get home and you hear yourself saying something like this, was that Thomas or was that Tony? I have no idea. I can never tell the difference. Well, imagine what that feels like from the other side. That, that people are really never quite sure of who you really are. Are you Thomas? Are you Tony? Are you Ted? But Jesus, he knows Thomas, and he zeroes right in on exactly who Thomas is. And he says it, Thomas, I know who you are. I know what you need. Here, hands, side, take a look. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas, you are not anonymous. You are not. And friends, I wonder sometimes if, if that's sort of the piece that we're missing on Easter. Not all the evidence, not the airtight arguments for resurrection, but simply Jesus. Jesus, the one who knows us. The one who knows everything about you, who knows your doubts, your fears, your confusion, your confidences, your pride, your victories, your shame, your sin, your name. Sometimes we forget Jesus, all the stuff of Easter, the one who is here, the one who is risen, the one who knows us. Jesus sort of wraps up this conversation with Thomas by saying, you know, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. And, and really, Jesus could have said that to any of the disciples because none of them came to faith without seeing. They all had to see to believe. Thomas wasn't unique in that. But that's what Jesus says. Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. And then he goes on and he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. One of the, the commentators I was um, reading about or reading from this week said that when he was a kid, they would have family devotions around the table and and one night his, his mother was reading and she read this very text and she came to that line and it said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then she turned to the kids and she looked at them and she said, He's talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. We are in the Bible. We are the ones who have not seen and yet have believed. And this commentator said, I thought that was the coolest thing, that, that I was actually in the Bible, that Jesus actually knew my name. 
And, and friends, you may, you may not agree, but that's exactly the truth. That, that way back in that room in Jerusalem, that room with the locked doors, that room with Jesus there, Jesus didn't just have Thomas in mind. Jesus had you in mind. Every one of us. Jesus knew you. He knew your name way back then. And he knew that, that you would not have the same evidence that Thomas had. He knew that, that you would not be able to lay eyes on his risen body, that you would not be able to touch his scarred hands. But he knew that you would have the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of those disciples, Thomas included, that you would have the testimony of all of your fellow believers and you would have one thing more, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit who would take all of those things and who would give you exactly what you need to believe. Blessed are those who have not seen. And friends, what the text is telling us here is that you are not anonymous either. You may think you are. You may think you blend in with the crowd. You may think that no one really knows you, especially God, but it's not true. Someone does know you. The living Jesus knows you. And you need to hear from him as well. And he comes to you with the same message he brought to his own disciples, and that's peace. Peace. I don't know what you think you may have done to hurt yourself or how you may have hurt people that you love or how you may have even hurt God, but Jesus wants you to hear the message that he comes to you in peace that all is forgiven. All is forgiven. He comes in peace. But don't be mistaken, He comes. He comes. And He knows that, that maybe you don't need to touch his, his hand, maybe you don't need to put your hand in His side, but He knows what you do need and maybe that's just a friend. Or maybe that's a comforting voice to read to you at bedtime. Maybe it's someone to tap on your shoulder and ask you if you need help with your geometry. Or maybe what you need is to hit bottom so that you'll actually let go of that sin in your life that's giving you and everyone around you so much pain. Or maybe what you need is to hear that that yes, there will be a better day one day. Whatever it is, Jesus knows what you need to hear. You are known, you are not anonymous, and at any moment, he might just walk up behind you and speak your name. You see, friends, you can walk out of here today and you can... You can leave all the evidence behind. You can leave all the tangentials behind, the songs, the flowers, all the stuff. You can leave it all behind. But that, 
That doesn't work with Jesus. That doesn't work with Jesus. There's not a locked room. There's not a sealed tomb that can keep you safe from the risen Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the living one. You knew death and you know life forevermore. Come to us, Lord, visit us. Bring us your presence and call us to yourself. Call us to true faith that we may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, come to die and to pay for all of our sins that we may have life with you forevermore. Come to us, Lord Jesus, and bring us your peace. Amen.